Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 115. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide and have been a full-time outdoor instructor and guide since founding the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School in 1999. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident in the natural world through our bushcraft and guide training semester programs and multi-week canoe and snowshoe expeditions. You can check out the show notes to all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. If you're interested in learning more about our college-accredited and GI Bill-approved programs, visit the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School on the web at jackmtn.com. And check out our online network and digital learning academy at bushcraftschool.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. This is episode number 115. I'm your host, Tim Smith, and I'm joined today by Tessa Story. How are we, Tessa? Oh, you know, (laughs) sore. Tessa and I are spending the day, as are all of the people on the course, kind of licking our wounds because we had a long day yesterday. We paddled about 31 miles with some crazy winds, and uh, today is a day of rest and sorely needed. I woke up this morning um, and physically couldn't move for... Yep. <laughs> for... I woke up in the middle of the night with my arms stuck under my body and stretching that out was didn't feel great. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was hard. Um, but just got back after a week on the river. Uh, we managed to pull a last minute location change on the trip. Uh, this whole spring... The last week or so of April and all of May thus far, and it's currently May... 15th? 15th? Uh, 16th. Oh. May 16th as we're recording this, but the entire month of May so far, characterized by ridiculous winds, and seemingly all out of the north, right? Yeah. Or northwest. And about 10 years ago, I did a trip. We were scheduled to go down the St. John River, and about 10 years ago, I did a trip on the St. John, and it was a similar weather pattern. And it was just paddling straight into the headwind every single day. And when I saw the 10-day forecast for our recent trip, I said, I really don't want to repeat that experience. So imagine Tim in a fully loaded canoe going down a class 2 rapid, pretty quick water. Um, And if I didn't paddle, the wind was so strong, it would blow me back upstream. So we're talking like 30, 35 mile an hour winds. And it's just incredibly, incredibly frustrated. So... We switched gears and went to a different river where we wouldn't be headed into the wind. Uh, and we made it almost the whole way without paddling into a giant headwind. But all that ended yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of our trip. Uh, but yeah, we were out for a week. Great trip. We've got some other content that we're going to publish. I think we might um, publish just a, like a separate podcast episode just of nature sounds that we recorded on the trip, you know, birds, spring peepers, bald eagles, loons, you know, all sorts of cool stuff and maybe give you guys a, uh, a taste of what it's like to kind of travel with us when we're out in a remote location. Um, so the the trips, we, we love to canoe on our home drainage on the Aroostook and we love to go up to the headwaters and come down. And for my money, I think it's combines kind of the best of Maine 
canoeing. A couple of big open lakes, a couple of real skinny, narrow streams to pull down, and some bigger rivers. Um, and it's just, I think, I'm biased, obviously, but it's my favorite trip to do. How about you? Uh, well, this is the second time I've done the Aroostook, so it was interesting to see the differences. We're about two weeks earlier this year than we did it last year. Um, the water's a lot higher, so there was a lot less polling. And, I mean, I was in the bow of your boat a lot. I was in the bow of other people's boats while they were trying to learn how to steer. We kind of had a rough time teaching everybody paddle strokes and everything because the wind has been so strong the entire time, this entire course. Yeah, it's hard. I think when people are learning canoeing, like the first couple of days, first day poling, first day paddling, maybe first two days of each, it's really good to have sort of a Goldilocks weather system sitting over you. Yeah. Not a ton of wind, kind of sunny, water's not super cold, and we haven't had any, well, we had some sun. A little bit. But we've had enormous winds and yeah. cold, cold air, cold water. Um, and that's just hard. It's hard for people to learn. I'm sure it's been frustrating from a student perspective, but from a instructor perspective, it's been incredibly challenging whenever somebody asks, Oh, am I doing this right? Am I doing this paddle stroke? Right. And it's just kind of like, well, just don't take your paddle out of the water. Or we're going to blow to shore. So I can't really, can't really get into the correct way to do it. Yeah, totally. You know? It's like, it's everything you can do to not get spun. So yeah. all of like the finer points of paddle strokes and the finer points of, you know, and maybe you watch like a Becky Mason uh, canoe ballet video and you're like, how come all I'm doing is just sweating and grunting trying not to get spun in the wind? Uh, but hopefully as May, you know, as we slide into spring here, the trees are starting to leaf out. So maybe spring is finally on its way. Hopefully we'll get a couple of nice days on the water where we can really focus and dial in on, you know, paddle strokes and pull strokes and things. You know, it's so windy, you, you know, you get lined up with a, you're doing ferries and things with a pole, you get lined up perfectly with a little chute, and then you get a 35 mile an hour gust of wind and it blows you 15 feet out of the way. And mm. and it's just hard and there's no way around it. There's no way to make it easy. There's no way to make it better. But the one thing it does have going for it is that it's authentic, right? Yeah. These are the challenges you face in the real it's world. real life. Yeah. It'd be nice to have like a couple of days where we could teach people the basics before we get into the ridiculous weather but uh yeah it's maine that's northern maine canoeing and and mother nature hates us and wants us dead <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah a couple other things it was so windy yesterday we're paddling down the river and we had a good portion of the trip we had it as a tailwind so big big high water uh big winds big tailwinds so it was pushing us along pretty good. So we're paddling down and the trees are just, it was probably 35, I think gusting to 45 miles an hour. Yeah. And the trees were bending back and forth. And by late in the day, we watched uh, a tree just bend over and snap like a big, I don't know, 10 to 12 inch diameter fir tree, 10 to 12 inches at the base, 80 feet tall. And it just snaps and comes crashing into the river. Yeah. None it of sounded, us were... sounded kind of like gunshots at first and turned around and you just see this huge tree coming down. Pretty wild. Pretty wild. And none of us were like close enough where we were worried about getting hit by it. But that's why we didn't stay at the campsite that we passed shortly thereafter. Yeah. We stopped for a lunch and I did not trust any of the trees around us during that lunch. Trees were having like a like a 35% bend, right? It wasn't, uh, doesn't fill you with confidence. No. Um, but so yeah, so we saw that. That was super, super interesting. Um, 
Yeah, other things about this trip, we got to pull super narrow streams. There's an outlet to one of the lakes, and it's barely wide enough to float a boat. And you've probably seen it. We've got a couple videos on our on our site uh, of us going down that specific stream, and just super narrow. And that's super interesting for people uh, to do. And especially, we're in big boats. We're in 18 and 20 foot long boats, and the stream is like five feet wide. So the idea of like spinning the boat or something, you just can't do it because you can't even get more than like 15 degrees off in line with the current before you're just going to pin yourself up on rocks. A uh, couple other things. Everybody got the swing of baking in a reflector oven for the first time, and that's always fun. It, it always kind of turns a big light on for people when they realize that they can make their own bread in the field. Oh, um, yeah. We ate a lot of bannock bread on this trip. A lot of bannock. A lot of food. Good. We ate, as usual... You and I ate very well, and mm-hmm. I think some of the students ate pretty well as well. I think they were pretty excited about the uh, Aroostook Guide Basket. Oh, the Aroostook Guide, the Aroostook River Guide Grill Grilled Basket. basket, yeah. A new product. Tell that me will, about the uh... Aroostook River Guide Grill Basket, Tim. <laughs> well, uh, I don't have anything online written up about it, but a couple of years ago, we like to grill meats in the field. If you catch a fish, they're great to grill, or if you bring a steak or something, Um and we grill things hanging vertically next to the fire. So sort of like if you ever go to a shawarma place, that Middle Eastern bit where the, the heat source is to the side, not below the meat. And we hang them vertically. And you can use like regular barbecue grill baskets for that, like a fish basket or something. But those things are awful to pack. So now we make our own. And this trip, it finally got a name, the Aroostook River Guide Grill Basket. And maybe I'll put a, I'll, I have a photo or, or of it. Or ARG, for short. <laughs> maybe I'll put a photo of it. Maybe that'll be the, uh, I've got a photo of it. Maybe I'll make that the, uh, the image for this podcast on the web. Yeah. I saw the Aroostook River Guide Grill Basket. Please, several people on oh, this trip. Everybody was super excited about it. <laughs> and essentially it's a, uh, a couple of like cake drying or cooling racks connected with key rings and then you hang that from with the chain and the nice thing about it is it fits in the in the inside of the mouth of the smaller of the blue barrels that we use a lot when we're canoeing so it's very portable and that's why we designed it as such and I'd like to jokingly say that I've had those things in my kitchen for 30 years and it only took me 29 years and 11 months to figure out oh I could use that so I might be slow but I'm weak (laughs) uh but trips are trips really are where stuff gets real. I like to say that expeditions are where stupid ideas go to die. And we talk about it with the students a lot that when we're out and you are trying to cover miles and all those things, like you don't really need to have to learn how to paddle or pole a canoe if we're going to be out for 20 minutes on a pond or 20 minutes on the local river. You can kind of uh, stumble your way through it. But when you're covering miles day after day after day, that's where all those, the minutia of technique and being efficient with your biomechanics, that's where all those things really start to be super important. Um, because it helps you to do less work over time. So yesterday during the death march port death march portion of the trip, I think we covered about 31 miles and a day like that is where, you know, that's a lot of paddle strokes So any tiny improvements you can make to your efficiency uh, will have a huge benefit for you. Not only will you get there faster, but you still have something in the tank at the end of the day. So, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about 
biomechanics and efficiency and eliminating the parts of your paddle stroke that aren't helping you and uh, treating it like a pathologist would and cutting away the parts that aren't helping you. And it takes a long day and a good amount of fatigue for those lessons to really sink in. And I think we had that yesterday. Absolutely. And if the, you know, if the way that my body feels today is any indicator, we definitely had that yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting in shape for the rest of the season. That yeah. was, that was what yesterday was. <laughs> but fatigue is just a great teacher. You know, I always say that ex- fatigue is the fourth best teacher. I say experience is the third best teacher. Pain is the second best teacher. Uh, you know, a person only touches a hot wood stove once. Mm. And the best teacher, in my opinion, is Mrs. Petrowski, my first grade teacher from Clark Elementary School in Amherst, New Hampshire in 1974. I'd like to nominate Mrs. Bronner, my kindergarten teacher. <laughs> uh, one other cool thing we did this trip is we... One of the knots and knot systems that we learned is how to tie lining bridles onto canoes in order to line them down tricky sections of water. And until you actually have to use it in the field, it's another one of those, why am I learning this? This seems to be a complete waste of time. But we actually lined canoes through a section, a tricky section of water on this trip. Um, And it worked amazingly well. We didn't lose any gear. We didn't lose any boats. We didn't lose any people. And it takes something that in any other situation, like if you tried to run it with a paddle, you're going to get swept out into the waves or into the corner or into a sweeper or a strainer. Um, but it makes it slow and controlled and very methodical and no drama, no risk. And that's a great thing to have. So It gives you a good amount of teamwork. It's pretty fun to pass along the boats to everybody and watch it just go down the line. Yeah, totally. So two types of lining, right? Regular lining where you walk your own boat down. Uh, but what we did this trip because the footing was really dodgy was station lining. And that's where we tie on the lining bridles and lower the canoe down to somebody else who's stationary and then lower it down. And I think we had four or five people. So we would lower the canoe down and around this super tight hairpin corner, uh, handing it, handing it off to the next person. Uh, so, and if you're not having to move and you're you're not going to lose your footing, you're not going to slip. It's just a super, uh, safe, uh, and efficient way to do that. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was, I thought it was great all in all, super happy with the trip, super happy with how people performed. Um, and just a little bit of a Masardis miracle. So at the end of the day, we had, I mm-hmm. don't know, just a couple of miles left. So uh, the p- original plan was to paddle back to the field school and uh, unload everything. But because people were so fatigued at the end of the day, like, you know, when people are just tired, they're out of gas, they're getting a little crabby. So I came hey, up with the... Don't talk about me like that. <laughs> <laughs> I came up with the idea that maybe Tessa and I would paddle ahead, get back to the field school, grab the van and meet him at the Masardis boat launch so we wouldn't have to carry all the gear up the hill uh, in addition to the 31-mile paddling day with a crazy, crazy wind. So we took off, we paddled to the uh, we paddled to the Masardis boat launch ahead of everybody um, and didn't really have a plan as to how we were going to get back to get the van and the trailer to go... Um, pick everybody up so we had a few ideas we had some ideas i thought about showing a little bit of leg and you know flagging down a truck out on route 11 and have him take me back yeah but that's how you get kidnapped him <laughs> but uh didn't have to didn't have to turns out one of my neighbors was there he was about to throw a line in uh and a huge thank you 
to Dana Lyons. Dana uh, pulled up to the boat launch and I said, hey, you know, any chance we could give you 20 bucks to just give us a ride? We just live five miles down the road. And he knew where we lived. You know, we'd seen each other around. We hadn't officially met before yesterday. But he looked at us and he said, I'm happy to take you there, but I won't take any money. Yeah, I don't need the 20 bucks, but I'll take you. And it's just another Masardis miracle, it's right? It's really, really great. The beauty of living in a small town, everybody recognizes each other and he was just happy to help. So Yeah, I, he had really just pulled up. He, I saw him get his rod out of his truck and <laughs> we're windblown and t- pretty tired from the, the journey and we get out and we're like, hey, you know what would be better than fishing? Giving us a ride to our house. <laughs> just look and imagine two, Please. two people that are just looking haggard and coming as, up off the river. And as we're getting out of the water, a lid off blows off of the barrel and I have to chase it across the field. Yeah, and one of the pads an flew out of the boat. And Crazy. yeah, it was just wild. So so we went and you know went back, got the van and everybody else uh, paddled an extra an extra mile to to a separate takeout. And that extra mile, they said, was harder than the other 30 miles of the trip combined because they were going right into this 40-mile-an-hour wind. We were pretty lucky for most of it, honestly. I mean, it was very, very windy, but we had the tailwind, so we were going screaming fast, even though we had to work pretty hard to not get blown into shore because it was sort of just swirling. Yeah, Uh, it was still we were still going quickly, so that was nice. But then we were like, "Oh, we'll go to this the second uh, takeout point." And as soon as we kind of rounded the corner, Tim was like, "Ah, no!" And we pulled back (laughs) to the to the boat launch. Yeah, but but it all worked out. Everybody got off the water. Everybody's happy. We're all kind of licking our wounds today: sore muscles, blisters. Everything in the woods, um, you know, if it's not a park, if it's real woods, and especially in northern Maine, the woods, everything in the woods is pokey and sharp. Oof. So I've got like 200 little micro cuts on my hands and miniature puncture wounds. And yes, the nice thing, yeah, after a week on the river, I just, I washed my hands like 11 times. They're still dirty, but they're slowly getting a little bit cleaner. Well, it's kind of cool because my cup that I'm holding is just permanently gripped in my hand because I can't open my hands anymore. So <laughs> I'm always ready for more coffee. The hardships of life on the trail. But even though, like, even though it's hard, it still was an awesome trip. Lots of good, cheap laughs. We got some great photos, some solid video, and we'll be sharing that stuff as we... um, It was gorgeous. Yeah, as we get some more time. So, not a long time back at the field school here. Uh, Probably head out. We've got two days where we're going to really work intensively on paddling and poling. Um, We've got an awesome local rapid where we're going to go and really dial in on the particulars of of polling maneuvers in white water those sorts of things and then we'll probably head out onto a big lake and dial in all of our named paddle strokes that sorts of a thing and we still have to do all of our canoe rescue and safety stuff we've been kind of it's been cold yeah we've been dragging our feet hoping the water warms up a little bit because you know when people really want to like flip canoes and then do tea rescues and things they're even more excited about it when the water's like 41 degrees fahrenheit and the wind gusts are 35 and the air temperature is 40 (laughs) all good so we're hoping to hoping to get a little shift in the weather here but it looks the 10 day it looks like it's coming in like another day and a half so so what we have to look forward to then once the weather shifts is it'll be warm and then the bugs come out yeah so yeah but everyone thinks that they're ready for that they're like i'll take the bugs but I'm pretty sure as soon as the bugs come out, everybody will be like, oh, I miss the cold. Yeah, my experience is 20 minutes into bug season, everybody wants winter back. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm 
personally looking forward to the bugs right now, but talk to me again next week. <laughs> yep, I've experienced it many times in my years, and it just hits you like a slap in the face. You're used to just breathing normally, and then all of a sudden you're breathing in hordes of black flies and mosquitoes. And But it is what it is. Maybe that's the price to pay to live in such a beautiful place. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, well, that kind of wraps up discussing our first trip. And we'll probably, at the end of our second trip, at the end of this course, we got two weeks to go. We'll probably do this again. But that's why we didn't release a podcast on Saturday because we were out in the middle of nowhere. And you probably won't hear from us again for about two weeks because we're going to be gone in the in the woods again. And totally off the grid, not, nothing. Uh, so we couldn't re- upload anything even if we wanted to. Second thing I want to talk about today is Don't Believe the Hype. Famous rap song in my instance, uh, in my from my approach. We've been super fortunate over the years at Jack Mountain where if you do Google searches for like the 10 best bushcraft schools or the 10 best wilderness survival schools, we've come up a lot in those sorts of lists. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, it's kind of cool seeing your name listed among among the big players in the industry and it's kind of cool uh you know it's a good little ego boost and it feels kind of good but here's the dirty little secret about all that uh even though we've been in you know members of maybe 30 of those articles over the years none of those articles um for none of those articles did they send anybody out to like take a course and review it So the way that those things work is that someone uses the Google machine (laughs) to determine who are the top 10. And maybe they're going by by how many... Who shows up first on Google? Yeah. who? I mean, basically, I think that's it. Uh, Or, you know, how many likes you have on social media, that sort of a thing. Um, So it's kind of a big... It's kind of a big game. And as somebody who's been in this industry now full time for 24 plus years, don't believe it. Don't believe that hype. Uh, and if you're the proprietor, say of a smaller school, this is what, and you, you know, you really want to get, or a guide service or something, and you really want to get that sort of media coverage. They're not, it's not based on then sending somebody out to say every school and then, um, you know, having some criteria by which they're going to judge and then rank. It's, it's really just mimicking or copying what they find on, on Google or on other search engines. So you know, don't believe it. If someone's always consistently ranked near the top, maybe that just means they have a really good web designer, or maybe that means they have a really good marketing person. But the end result that you would uh, receive if you were, say, a student to attend one of those schools, it's going to be different for everybody. Different people are looking for different things. Years ago, I had a post about, uh, I think it was a blog post, and the the title was, we're number one, because I think we were number one in one of those one of those lists, uh, and I joked about it a little bit because in order to be number one, you know, we'll use the analogy of a race. Say if we had a running race, we had 10 people and we're having a running race. Then at the finish line, we could all say, okay, this person did it the fastest. They're number one. This person was second. They're number two. But in the instance of, say, wilderness skills, schools or bushcraft schools, survival schools, whatever, there's none of that consensus where everybody's running the same race. So imagine if you're trying to do rankings and everybody's running a different race course, a different length of a race in different locations with different goals. It doesn't really, you can't really come up with the number one through 10 then. It's just, everything's just a little bit different, right? It's not easy to say, oh, this person's or this school or whatever is is number one, they're the best because 
different race, different course, different goals. Um, so just wanted to pass that along. I get tired of seeing those, uh, you know, who's number one, who's number two. And especially on, say, internet, like message boards, it's kind of just fanboys talking about their heroes or their, you know, their their whatever. You know, you read somebody's book and you think you know them and they're your hero and you want to promote, promote, promote them and um, whatever, human nature. The moral of the story is never have heroes. Never have heroes. <laughs> uh, I have a book, uh, Ba Black Sheep, Pappy Boeington, World War II Marine Corps fighter ace, right? And he liked he liked the bottle quite a bit, this guy, but I think he shot down more bad guys in the Pacific than than anybody else. But at the back cover in big, bold print, it says, uh, he's quoted, and it says, show me a hero and I'll prove to you that he's a bum. Yeah. <laughs> so he was not enamored with the whole hero culture. There you go. Yeah, there you go. That's a true hero right there. True hero. But, or true bum. So I got that book because when I was a kid, they had a TV show that kind of like made him a hero, him and his mm. black sheep squadron. Um, and a super interesting, great book. Uh, so quick story from that book. These guys would go out all night, World War II, right? And they had a bombing run the next day. They'd go out drinking all night. And I think it was Boynton in, in the book. Uh, so these old World War II planes had like a single stick coming up, right? That's how they would control it. You know, push forward, you go down, pull back, you go up, left, right, whatever. I played that game. So this guy would get a, he'd bring a ball of string in with him. And he would tie the stick off to different points inside the, inside the cockpit. So when they got up to altitude, maybe they had a couple hours to go for their bombing run. He'd tell the other guys like, okay, turn your radios up, radios up all the way. I'm going to fall asleep. He's alone in this little plane. They didn't have autopilot. He says, I'm going to go to sleep for a little bit. If I start, uh, you know, veering in any direction, scream and wake me up. <laughs> it says, I don't know if it's true or not. But Can it was we try that with the canoes? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, I was going to do it with the van. Nice. Uh, <laughs> so, so the moral of the story is don't believe the hype. Um, yeah, I think we beat that. And always that. bring lots of string so that you can lots, take a nap. Lots of string. Uh, well, that's all I've got. I think it's about time for my afternoon nap to go yeah. lay down and lick my wounds a bit more. Yep. Uh, thank you again for listening and joining us here. We'll probably catch us again in two weeks when we'll wrap up the 2023 Wilderness Canoe Expedition semester. If you're interested in interacting with us, um, you can definitely do so. Jump on our private online community at bushcraftschool.com. Um, we've got online courses there you can take. doesn't cost you anything to join. Um, you got to use your real name because we don't want to interact with like Bushmaster007 and kind of other silly internet handles. Uh, but, you know, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to have you join us and, and interact with you. So thank you again for listening. Uh, any last words? Bye. Good last word. <laughs> See ya. You have been listening to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. For more information on our professional wilderness guide training programs that are college accredited and GI Bill approved, visit us on the web at jackmtn.com.